0: Today we're discussing page 13 of the Weird Weird West. Uh, This page concludes chapter 4, Meet the Crozar, which began on last page, and begins the Crozar base, a chapter that continues on to the next page. The theme is Crozar. Today's the day that we meet them officially, after having discussed them back in the NPC section. It's also a big day because this is the day when our various superhero teams that we created for this series are going to diverge, going to start taking different paths through the adventure. But as we begin, any team playing this adventure, whether it's the West Coast Avengers, the Misfits, Ford's Furies, or the Secret Zoomers, they're all in the same boat. They were all just jumped by a 20-story dinosaur. They all just survived, somehow. They all just saved a man from the wreckage of his Conestoga wagon. None of them, incidentally, are traveling with that man. Uh, in the aftermath of the last scene from yesterday, it says, quote, The unconscious young man is just a pioneer from early America. It goes on to say, quote, he met up with the Tyrannosaur who somehow forgot to eat him the first time around. As soon as he wakes up, he will try to flee. If the heroes try to follow or restrain him, <laughs> they quickly find that he can offer them little aid. So, interesting play assumptions from this era where the author feels the need to address, like, well, when the innocent, injured man is running away from the wreckage of his life and says that he wants nothing to do with the heroes, what if they chase him down and hogtie him? What then? So, anyway, none of us are hanging out with this pioneer man. All of us have just survived being jumped by the dinosaur, and we're walking around in the desert. Quote, At this point, the heroes will probably pick a direction and begin moving in search of clues. No matter which direction they select, they will soon come upon a party of crozar. This is one of at least a couple times in the adventure where the author just dictates, like, there's a map for you to walk around on, there's a whole area here, but this is the thing that needs to happen next, so no matter what the players do or where they choose to go, this is what they run into. Which is, like, fair enough. I don't love to run adventures that way, but... It's an acceptable degree of illusionism. You're trying to make a story here. The main thing here is the story, not the map. So if we need to say whatever direction you walk, that's where the crows are, are, then that's fine. Here's the box text. Quote, As you make your way across the ravaged countryside, your senses are slowly beginning to adjust to the strangeness. Overhead, the odd combination of World War I-era biplanes, futuristic space fighters, and pterodactyls no longer seems so startling. On a distant ridge, you see a small unit of Napoleonic troopers trying to bring down a mastodon side by side with a group of medieval Chinese diplomats. Good eye to pick out that they're diplomats from this distance. Uh, Quote, Chinese diplomats who are attempting to talk a passing caveman into swapping a few scraps of food for a string of pearls. As you move on, you notice a loud buzzing sound of increasing intensity filling the air around you. After a short time, the buzzing grows so loud that it is almost painful, presumably unless you're Hawkeye. Quote, You are certain that the sound is emanating from behind a nearby ridge. So, All this interesting shit is happening, there are planes overhead, more dinosaurs, futuristic people with presumably future technology, there's some people trying to hunt a mastodon who you could maybe help and befriend, but you pass all of that up. You do it in the box text, just to make sure. Instead, you walk until you hear a buzzing sound. The buzzing hurts, and it's coming from behind a ridge. Faced with dinosaurs and spacemen and Napoleonic soldiers and mastodons, and did I say cavemen? And cavemen on one side, (laughs) and a painful stationary buzzing on the other, you think, Yo yeah, let's go see what's happening with that buzzing. Let's, let's approach the painful noise. So, you do. Quote, When the heroes make their way around the ridge to investigate, they find a group of five crozar fussing over some sort of huge machine, which is obviously the source of the buzzing. Of course, as we know from days ago, the crozar are basically rubber monsters, like from a sci-fi show. They're like lizard people or dinosaur people. And the author lays out a number of different ways the heroes might want to approach these crozar. Number one, they might try to talk to them. If that happens... Uh, the lizards refuse to cooperate or communicate in any way and draw their weapons and tell the heroes that they are now captives of the Crozar Empire, at which point the heroes can either decide to go along willingly or fight the Crozar. It's also possible, it says here, that the heroes might just figure, well, they're lizard people, they're probably bad, let's just go ahead and jump them. And if that happens, then you can automatically sneak up on the Crozar. The thing is, the machine is so loud, the buzzing is so loud, that the Crozar have no chance to detect your approach, so any stealth is automatically successful proving once again how vital it is, as recommended in last adventure, to have a stealth specialist on every team. What would we do without our stealth specialist? Other than automatically succeed at stealth, I mean. Uh, the other option that's listed here is that the heroes might try to use a diversion to trick the Crozar into leaving their machine, so the heroes can go check it out. Uh, if this happens, then the crowsar make an intuition roll, which you'll remember the crowsar have poor intuition. It is one of their main weaknesses. They're incredibly easy to sneak past and misdirect. It says here, quote, you should base the intensity of this feat, meaning the intuition feat the are have to make, quote, on the soundness of the hero's plan. A very good plan might call for an amazing intensity feat roll, while a poorly conceived plan might require a typical feat. Uh, of course, any of these difficulties would be above the Crowsar's poor intuition, which means that in any case it would require a red result. It makes literally no difference what the intensity here is, which you would know if you understood the intensity rules, which this author stubbornly does not. In the latter event, and here we're on to page 13. If you get the Krozar away, like maybe one of you dresses up in a sexy lizard person outfit and lures the Krozar away toward you, and then the other heroes who aren't in sexy lizard outfits, or maybe they are. I mean, like, just as a backup or, you know, for any reason. They don't need to explain themselves. They sneak up to look at the machine that the Krozar were using. Quote, If the heroes manage to get a look at the machine by defeating the crowsar in combat or tricking them out of the area, allow everyone to make a remarkable intensity reason feat. Successful heroes understand that the machine was built to analyze the energies given off by temporal disturbances. A screen on the machine reads 60,000 BC to 11,000 BC, 20,000 BC to 300 BC, 3 BC to 700, 1343 to 1511, 1769 to 1814, 1902 to 1921, 1992 to 2006. Now the author goes on to say these are all the different dates that have been sucked into 1871 Dodge City because of the time shenanigans that are happening. You'll notice that uh, this only goes back as far as 60,000 BC, which is in the neighborhood of 65 million years too late to get any dinosaurs, uh, which apparently are all over the place, so I don't know. Quote, anyone passing an amazing intensity reason feat can use the device to learn that entire eras are somehow disappearing out of the past and future and being drawn into the era around Dodge City. Once again, an amazing intensity feat roll, very, very difficult to make, to learn that different eras in time have somehow converged on Dodge City. You mean that dinosaur over there is from the past? Good thing I blew all my fucking karma on that amazing intensity reason feat. Anyway, this scene can end in a couple of different ways. If the heroes willingly go with the Crozar back to camp, or are beaten by the Crozar and dragged back to camp, then you proceed to chapter 8. If the heroes defeat, trick, ignore whatever the Crozar, and manage to walk out under their own power, then we proceed to chapter 5, as the heroes walk away from this encounter. So here's what I think would happen to all the super teams I created in this scene. Between the fact that they're going to try to parlay first and the fact that they only have like one real hard target on the team, I think Ford's Furies are going to get beaten here. Um, a couple of them are pretty physically weak. Iron Blood, who has a strong moral character uh, due to his high blood iron content, he's going to surrender because he's not going to want the rest of his team to get hurt. I think they're getting captured by the Crows are. So the Furies are off to chapter eight. We'll see you later, Ford's Furies. I think the Secret Zoomers, they're very strong on stealth. They're pretty strong on misdirection. They're going to get a peek at this machine and just walk right on. And the Misfits, uh, you know, we talked a few days about how Glass Cannon, she's got body armor. It's prismatic body armor, which I think should apply against lasers. So that's going to make her essentially blaster-proof and laser-proof. And she's too strong to glue in place. And her psyche is too high to get KO'd by the neural stunner that the crows are sometimes carry. I don't think she's going to be affected by any of the are weapons. So I think... The Misfits are probably going to fight and trounce these crowsar and then continue on their way looking for the crowsar camp. That means that the Zoomers and the Misfits both move on to Chapter 5, which also begins on this page. Whether the heroes are looking for the crowsar camp or not, it's the next thing they find. If you walk into the desert, just like you found the crowsar, no matter which direction you went, you find the crowsar camp no matter where you go. But in any case, the secret Zoomers and the Misfits being the survivors from Chapter 4 not getting captured, they move on to Chapter 5. Where they hear the following, quote, you come up a long sloping ridge. Yes, it's this scene. Quote, on the other side, about 25 feet below you, you spot what must be the alien camp. The camp consists of seven hurriedly constructed shelters surrounded by a circular perimeter. It is approximately 50 yards from end to end. 20 yards away from the rest of the encampment rests a single isolated shack. Next to the shack are several huge trees. Dozens of the lizard-like aliens are rushing about the camp, madly giving and receiving orders. Judging from all the weapons you see strewn about, the aliens are probably a very militaristic people. Um, I mean, maybe. Although, the secret zoomers here, watching this scene unfold, one of them has a gun and one of them is in a fire-breathing turtle suit, but they're cool. Maybe don't jump to conclusions about the rubber lizards, is all I'm saying. Quote, from your vantage point, you can look down the ridge to a small rocky plateau rising about 10 feet above the encampment. A tall tree up to the ridge helps conceal you from the aliens below. Higher up, the branches of the tree are only about two feet away from the long limbs of the tree near the isolated shack. Uh, Now, I posted a picture of this encampment map on Patreon in the Visual Companion way back on, like, the second episode for this book, the inside cover map. In that episode, I pointed out that there seem to be more buildings than are described here, round sand dollar-like buildings, which I assumed to be little tiny shelters for the dinosaurs, like little survival tents or whatever that they set up. Some listeners suggest that those are meant to be trees, but the important thing is, regardless of whether these are buildings or trees, the logic of this setup makes no sense with the map. But we've already been over that, so so we're just going to assume whatever changes to the map or space itself are made to make this scene work as written, and we're just going to forget the map. Anyway, speaking of the scene, here's how it goes down. There are four facts about the Crozar base that our heroes can learn by spying on the rubber lizard men from the ridge. Each one of them requires a remarkable intensity intuition feat. As it happens, the teams that we're following, the Zoomers and the Misfits, are probably going to be okay here. The Zoomers have at least one person with remarkable intuition, so once again, I guess Troop is just going to have to pay Karma out the robot turtle nose to make these rolls. But at least they're within reach. On the Misfits, meanwhile, they shouldn't have a problem. Superball's got remarkable intuition, so does Silver Siren, and she's a trained journalist, as you'll know if you're a patron and are following the TVA archives on Patreon. So, despite the fact that she is a robot mermaid on a mountain in the desert, uh, she turns out to be like the most useful member of the team in this situation because as a trained journalist and observer with high intuition, uh, she should actually be able to pretty readily make all these roles. Anyway, whether by turtle or by mermaid, our heroes discover the following. There are about 75 crozar here, 50 of them are combatants. Each of the aliens is carrying one of the four weapon types that I described earlier, and uh, there are also four heavy special weapons, some vehicles, and some other heavy equipment. Uh, the crozar are preparing for military action, And they seem very confused about what's going on around them. They don't seem to be comfortable with this whole time swap situation. So it doesn't seem like they know very much about what's going on. Naturally, the next step here is to get down into the encampment and take a look around. If you try to climb down stealthily, this is a very rare instance. Maybe the first we've seen anywhere in these adventures where stealth actually does make a difference. You have to make an excellent intensity agility roll to sneak down into the camp. If you fail, then you are rushed by 30 Krozar carrying two of the heavy weapons kept in the camp, and they demand your surrender. Uh, these weapons are neural stunners, but not the same neural stunners we saw earlier. This is a different model. They're bigger, and more importantly, they're keyed to a different attribute. Quote, the weapons are neural stunners which force their target to make an amazing intensity endurance roll or drop unconscious. Remember how I mentioned Glass Cannon being coincidentally immune to all the Krozar's weapons? Not this one. She has feeble endurance. She has... Essentially a 1% chance not to be knocked the fuck out anytime anybody so much as brushes the trigger on one of these weapons. They're her absolute kryptonite. In fact, they're pretty much everybody's kryptonite. There's almost no one with amazing endurance who's not like a big time superhero. I mean, it's superhuman level to begin with. But I mean, for this adventure specifically, there is one antagonist who will show his face later who has amazing or higher endurance in that 20 story fucking dinosaur he fought. That's it. Everybody else in this adventure, friend or foe, would need a red result to not be knocked out by one of these neural stunners, which to me puts this at the very top of the must-steal list for player characters. For sure, we're going to get absolutely wrecked in one encounter by these neural stunners. The very next thing on the to-do list after we get our ship back together from that drubbing that we are going to take is steal a neural stunner. Once we do, I think we're going to have smooth sailing through the rest of this adventure, but that's for later. For now, just taking a slight peek onto page 14... It notes that if you do make your stealth roll, then snooping around the camp only has a good intensity to get all of the aforementioned clues. So, if you don't have keen eyesight like Hawkeye, or a background in journalism like Silver Siren, the robot mermaid, then you may have to climb down the tree and risk capture to snoop around. Now, there's a lot more to do in this camp, and we're going to have to talk about it in future days. So, we're kind of caught in the middle of a scene. It's a little awkward to pick a dumbest thing here. So, I'm going to pick up on a little thing. These neural stunners, these, like, heavy-duty superhero-grade neural stunners... They're incredibly powerful. You are straight-up KO'd if you don't make an amazing intensity endurance roll. That is a virtually guaranteed single-shot defeat for pretty much anyone in this module but Wonder Man, one mystery antagonist, and a giant dinosaur. Anybody else who gets zapped by one of these things is out for the count. Player character, antagonist, NPC, anybody. It's also the only weapon here that can hurt glass cannon or a character like her who is strong against all of the Krozar's other pathetic sci-fi weapons i think that specifying that the neural stunners are stored here and that there are exactly four of them is the dumbest thing on this page just for story construction purposes as i said stealing these things is absolutely irresistible an unintended heavy weapon is already an invitation to player character shenanigans like in what fantasy campaign have the rogue and the fighter not at least thought about teaming up to steal a ballista and use it as a personal weapon it is it is an irresistible compulsion. If we've had these things used on us and seen how effective they are, that doubles their allure. Specifying that there are, like, four of them in a pile here, in a scene where we're meant to use stealth, is just asking us to steal them. And everyone we steal is one they don't have. For example, if the misfits in this scene manage to steal or destroy all four neural stunners, the are have basically no more weapons that can hurt glass cannon for the duration of the encounter. And... We can now outfit the entire team with these heavy weapons. Now, there, it's not specified how many people you need to use to operate these weapons. There are 30 crowsar here, and there are two of them in the mix. Like, I don't know if that means there are two crowsar who are the designated heavy weapons crowsar carrying these things, or if it's like 15 crowsar all crowded around each of these neural stunners, you know, hoisting it on their shoulders, and then one person's job is to, like, pull the big lever to fire it or whatever. There's no specificity on that. But we're superheroes. For sure, Wonder Man can lift and use one of these. And if Wonder Man by some chance couldn't do it, Wonder Man and Vision could, working together. So there's almost no scenario where a superhero team can't use at least one of these things. So both for purposes of keeping the Crozar a threat and for purposes of keeping the player characters from stealing one of these weapons and riding roughshod over the whole adventure, uh, keeping them in a pile of exactly four out in the open is a huge mistake. But that's just scratching the surface of this scene. Join me next time as our time-displaced interlopers awkwardly run into six other time-displaced interlopers in the Crowsar base on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big Megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Dumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's theme music, used under Creative Commons license, is Western Firefight 2 by Kula, whose work you can find at kula.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Thanks for listening.